MSW Media. Hey, it's Kimberly, host of the Start Me Up podcast. If you like your politics with some loose talk and salty language, you're going to love my show. I interview the coolest people like Mary Trump, Kathy Griffin, and DNC chair Jamie Harrison. The Start Me Up podcast has an easygoing, casual style and a strong emphasis on left-leaning politics. We also have frank discussions about sex and more than a few spirited rants. Just visit patreon.com slash startmeup or wherever you get your podcasts and start listening today. Rule of law is not just some lawyer's turn of phrase. It is the very foundation of our democracy. The essence of the rule of law is that like cases are treated alike. That there not be one rule for Democrats and another for Republicans, one rule for the powerful, another for the powerless, one rule for the rich and another for the poor, or different rules depending upon one's race or ethnicity. To serve as Attorney General at this critical time is a calling I am honored and eager to answer. So yeah, now it's clean up on aisle 45 time. And for a long while yet, it is going to be clean up on aisle 45. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 30 of Clean Up on Aisle 45. It's Wednesday, August 11th, and I'm your co-host, Allison Gill, and with me as always is real-life lawyer, Andrew Torres. <laughs> Allison, thank you so much. I am really looking forward to our show for today. But first, we have to thank our new patrons who have supported us over at patreon.com slash aisle45pod for as little as a buck an episode. You get the ad-free version of the show. We did a fantastic Zoom hangout with you last month. So we got, we got lots more good stuff to come. Uh, check that out. So thank you to our new patrons, Corinna Kepnick, Jesse Kearns, Don Mahoney, Segarath, the Royal Society for the Prevention of Birds, <laughs> oddly specific, but I like it, David Nason and Rakesh Patel. Thank you all so much. Yes, yes, thank you. And uh, since it's a new month, we have our monthly shout out to our top patrons, our Hall of Famers, if you will. And those are Jamil Chohan, Christopher Dalfi, Dude, which is good, <laughs> uh, Stephen Mackinnon. Jessica Odebeer. Oh, Jessica. Hi. Yeah, we love Jessica. Uh, there's one here called It's Kind of Nice Having a Competent Federal Government Again from SummitShuffleboard.com. One rule for the powerful, another for the powerless, one rule to bring them all and in the darkness bind them. <laughs> <laughs> Lance Buckley. Crimer, no criming. David in Brooklyn. Hello, David in Brooklyn. I just got to see him this weekend. Oh, nice. Uh, uh, I don't know how to pronounce this. It looks like a Nexium cult situation, but... Uh, f- uh, F-H-V-J-X-R. Fijiver-Stafifi. I'm just going to say that. Uh, Here's another one. Check out Project Binky on YouTube. Two mad blokes fit a Toyota GT4 AWD drivetrain into an original Mini. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Why not? I love it. Uh, Metacon 7 has a pot for pins and a pot for beans. (laughs) How appropriate. How appropriate. I like it. Uh, Charles Jones. Okay, Charles, come on. Just Charles Jones? That's it? All right. Uh, Chris Waltrip, January 20, baby. That's my birthday. And if you, <laughs> this is interesting. There's a meme going around right now on social media, Andrew, uh, of the most popular birthdays ranked number one to number 366th uh-huh. you know, because of uh, because of leap year there. January 20th, number 366, the fewest people. Morning, January 20th. <laughs> now, now I'm trying to figure out what's nine months before January 20th that would, yeah, anyway. That nobody wants to have sex on yeah. that day. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, I got some weird parents. Trust All right. your parents. Hey, well, you know. <laughs> I have Patty B and, of course, Mitchell and our all-time great Chris Simpson. Woo, Chris Simpson. Thank you all so much for supporting the show. Patreon.com slash aisle45pod. And now, on to the A Block. Yeah, and before we get to the A Block, Andrew, now that I think about it, a buck an episode isn't much to pay for advertising your own shit, now that I read some of these titles. 
<laughs> and, I mean, and you know, we did yeah, that's it's a pretty good deal. So a really good ad rate on this show, <laughs> I have to say. All right. But uh in hey, look, the Democratic Senate did exactly what we told you they should do news. By the time the show airs, Congress will have actually passed a law, Ooh. a massive yeah, $1.2 trillion infrastructure package that's really, really good. It's a good thing. It's really good. It's not the best, obviously, no. because Republicans are involved. Okay. But, but the bill, which which has the support of 18, it was 17, it was 16, now it's 18 Republicans, features $550 billion in new federal spending over five years. It invests $110 billion in funding towards roads, bridges, and major projects. $66 billion in passenger and freight rail, $65 billion to rebuild the electric grid, $65 billion to expand broadband internet, broadband internet access, and $39 billion to modernize and expand the transit system. And then we have $55 billion for water infrastructure, $15 billion of which will be directed toward replacing lead pipes. Those are all really good things. Yeah, and I know what you're thinking. I know. You're thinking... But shouldn't we have lots more good things? You're damn right we should. So that's why at the same time that Biden was negotiating the slim down infrastructure package, the Democrats were putting together a $3.5 trillion budget that, how do I explain? Okay, look, remember when Biden first unveiled the infrastructure bill and a bunch of Republicans whined that stuff like child care and health care and education and paid sick leave and climate change all didn't really count as infrastructure for some dumb reason. Yeah, well, and, you know, we said, okay, cool. So so take all the stuff out that Republicans are whining about, pass it separately through reconciliation. And that, my friends, is exactly what the Democrats did. And Chuck Schumer has said he will immediately introduce the budget reconciliation <laughs> uh, under, under these new, you know, the reconciliation rules, the things that we can do without Republicans. Uh, which is the second infrastructure bill, and he's going to immediately introduce that, such that both bills will pass before the August Senate recess. Yeah, and and so look, for those of you who, uh, like me, like you, Allison, right, who mm-hmm. complain that Mitch McConnell always seems to be Mitch McConnelling us, right? Like, this is the shoe on the other foot for once, right? This is the Democrats unequivocally outmaneuvering the Republicans to get them to sign a bill. Okay, yeah, you know, the, the, their line in the sand is no tax increases. Fine. This has a half a trillion dollars in new federal spending from the people who think government should be reduced to the size, uh, you know, of a puppy and strangled in the bathtub or whatever it was that Ronald Reagan used to say. Right. Mm. And, and, and you know how we know that we came out on top because the Salt Lake Tribune is running op-eds every day, blasting Mitt Romney for agreeing to sign on to the infrastructure deal. Yeah. Mm. And, and the former guy tried to tank it too. Yep. Uh, by making a bunch of phone calls. And, you know, the the thing is, though, we we sort of, by the way, Mittens was, was <laughs> cute when he got called on this. Um, but, you know, before I get into what, what Romney got called up for, I, you know, I have to bring this up. We sort of power backed the Republicans into a corner on this, do you know? Yeah. Uh, but, but you know, Romney said because, well, they couldn't disagree with it. Otherwise, all the bridges and it would all have been our idea. They, they, they saw this happen to them. They lost support uh, during when we passed the COVID plan because they, none of them voted for it. Mm-hmm. So the American Rescue Plan. So that we sort of like, OK, well, really? And I remember how Biden was like, well, I'm going to I'm not signing one without the other, meaning I'm not signing the bipartisan bill without the reconciliation bill. And then he had to back off of that to get Republicans to come yeah. on board. <laughs> and I honestly thought the Republicans were going to vote against their own shit, but they couldn't because Democrats strategically painted them into a corner of voting no on a job creating infrastructure bill that they've been pitching themselves for years. Yep. Yep. Um, But yeah, Romney got called on this quote. Now, I know that members of both parties have mischaracterized our efforts and somehow linked to paving the way to the Democrats three point five trillion dollar wish list. If you don't think our Democrat friends are going to push for that monstrosity with or without this bill, then I have a bridge in Brooklyn to sell you, which is funny (laughs) because this this bill uh, helped with bridges. Um, 
They're going to push for that anyway. This is a separate piece of legislation. I love this one. I hate that one. These are two very different things. <laughs> <laughs> you know, whatever you got to tell yourself, Mitt. Uh, but 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 no, I want to I do want to pick up on uh, a little pin that you impliedly left uh, in the last one. That, and that is the former guy still trying to muck things up from from behind the scenes. Um, freshman dipshit Senator Bill Haggerty of Tennessee did Everything he could to slow down the passage of this bill, postponing the final vote so that now and again, we're recording this Monday night. uh, It looks like it's either going to be at 4 a.m. on Tuesday morning or if the Senate can pass some kind of goofball resolution, uh, maybe they can get that during, you know, waking hours. Um, But uh, uh, John Tester. Uh, a Democrat from from Montana, uh, one of my favorite curmudgeonly Democrats, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he doesn't always he doesn't have the, the the a perfect progressive track record, but you know, he's from Montana, uh, and uh, and 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 I just love the guy. Uh, Tester says, "quote I think he, meaning Haggerty, is doing Trump's bidding. I don't think there's any doubt about it. I think they want to try and draw this out as long as they possibly can, and hope and pray." That Congress fails, end of quote. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At Haggerty's instigation, senators held votes on 22 amendments, 22 amendments throughout yeah. the week. That's a, that's a lot for a week, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, especially in August, after working the previous weekend to finalize the text. Now, after Haggerty indicated he would block the bill's expeditious passage Saturday, a large group of his Republican colleagues were seen surrounding him on the Senate floor. <laughs> uh, Murkowski, Portman, and Thune, and uh, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell's floor staff all spent several minutes huddling with the junior senator from Tennessee, who told reporters before going to the floor that he wasn't blocking the passage. He was just merely letting the regular process play out. <laughs> now, when Haggerty said he wasn't blocking anything, Democrat Senator Chris Coons of Delaware softly responded next to him. Yes, you are. Yeah, right. I, I love that. You know, and so, yeah, I, this this has to do with uh, when you call cloture, you have a specific time for debate. You can waive that time period. You can waive the reading of the bill. And, you know, and the bill is 2000 plus pages long. All things that could speed up this process. And Haggerty is like, no, it's very, very important that, you know, we go through this procedural nightmare that will take us till four in the morning. Um. And the reason he has to do that is because the overwhelming majority of Americans and, th- th- you know, this is another point that you alluded to, right, of the Democratic outmaneuvering. Eighty percent favor plans to increase fundings for roads and bridges and ports and to replace pipes that are made out of lead. And I, it's just every poll you look at shows that this kind of infrastructure is massively popular. And, um, you know, they, they, they forced Republicans, uh, you know, they forced Mitt Romney to go, I love this bill. Well, you know, good, good for you guys. Yeah. Well, you know, I had said months ago, uh, Andrew, and so had you that if, if, uh, if the Republicans don't go along with it, we'll just scoot everything over into the budget reconciliation bill and they can go fuck themselves. Yep. And if they, uh, but they're, they would, do well to go along with it, because if they don't, we're going to use that against them in 2022, uh, you know, and 2024 to say, you know, we wanted roads and bridges and shit for you. And any any road and bridge or, or or anything that collapses between now and the next election would be it would be on their hands. So I think that that was a this was a brilliant strategic move uh, by the Democrats to be like, yeah, you know what, you can you can come party with us or not. Uh, <laughs> and if you decide not to you're not going to you're going to lose seats. So because they will be you you can guarantee you Andrew Republicans will be running on what's in this infrastructure bill in the coming elections. And with that said, we will be right back. We have a lot more to go over. There was a ton. As happens Andrew every time I go on on, on a vacation no matter how brief. <laughs> a ton of stuff has has happened including beans coming true. So uh we'll cover that when we come back from the break. Stay with us. Hey everybody, this is an ad for Word Tune. You know, writing under a deadline is extremely stressful. I remember having just minutes to finish writing ad copy for a podcast recording and being in a panic while still trying to make sure that I'm wording everything perfectly, right? Imagine how much easier writing would be if experts were available to look over your drafts anytime you needed them. That's what WordTune does in digital form. So stop agonizing over the perfect wording for an hour. Uh, You know, if you're like me and one of those people who does that. With WordTune, you can hit your deadlines on time, every time. 
using your original text, WordToon will provide you with a variety of options in a flash. Um, I have to tell you, I've tried it out. I have started using WordToon and it's pretty amazing, right? It's easy to download. It works as an extension in your browser. So anything I type, I can highlight it and then click on the little WordToon icon and it instantly gives me a variety of alternative wordings for my sentence. You can shorten, lengthen sentences on the fly. I don't have to do that latter one too much. The tool really is great for doing rewrites, revisions. I can't believe how well it works. So. WordTune is the first AI-powered online writing tool that understands meaning, right? It recognizes what you're trying to say, and it suggests ways to make your writing more clear, compelling, and authentic. Effective writing will help you stand out, so give WordTune a try, right? It works wherever, anywhere you're working online. Google Docs, Slack, Outlook, Web, WhatsApp, plenty more. And since you're a cleanup on aisle 45 listener, you can try WordTune for free at wordtune.com slash cleanup. Get help writing your emails, reports, presentations, resumes, blogs, all of that today. Go to wordtune, W-O-R-D-T-U-N-E dot com slash cleanup. Everybody, welcome back. Uh, so as I alluded to before we took a quick break, Wow. The Department of Justice was busy this weekend. <laughs> uh, though I should say, I should say, I should correct, I should amend that and say news about the Department of Justice was busy this weekend. And the Department of Justice has been busy for, quote unquote, most of the year investigating I... <laughs> Trump and Rosen. So this is huge news. Um, you know, Andrew, breaking from the Times last Saturday, I'm in New York. We're at our little party. We're having our little meet and greet for patrons for the Daily Beans. And boom, the news breaks. The Department of Justice is officially investigating Trump via the Inspector General, Mike Horowitz. Let me make that caveat. Mm -hmm. uh, the Times reports that Jeffrey Rosen, you know, former acting attorney general, has been working with the Department of Justice for most of the year to get his testimony about Trump's push to overthrow the government via Jeffrey Clark. Uh, they've been trying to get his testimony uh, ahead of anyone from Trump world trying to sue to block it. And I thought it was very interesting. I said, you know what? They, they're investigating. And here's a clue. They gave everybody permission. They, they said they weren't going to invoke executive privilege. They sent letters to Rosen and Donahue and other people, uh, people who were uh, threatened to resign and mass. We're going to dig into all of this in this segment because it was that this is huge, huge news. And I'm surprised it's not wall to wall on every mainstream media network. I me too. So I'm glad we made it our main segment. I did my best to, to retweet and signal boost your observations over the weekend because I think they were incredibly prescient. And and look, we have been dealing with, um, you know, the, the discontent from our side of, you know, look, we managed by the skin of our teeth to vote out a would-be fascist who cared nothing about the rule of law. And I 100% get, like, so why isn't that guy in prison yet? Right. So um, so let's so let's dig into it. Uh, the DOJ released a ton of documents to the Senate Judiciary Committee, including acting Deputy Attorney General Richard Donahue's notes of the December 27th phone call between acting Attorney General Rosen and Donald Trump. And as we know, as we saw uh, in that phone call, Trump told Rosen to announce election corruption and said that he and congressional Republicans would take it from there. Um, Trump also very clearly insinuated that if Rosen didn't play ball, you know, Jeffrey Clark would be a good choice to install as the AG. I mean, you know, just classic Trumpism. Yeah. And I have to think, honestly, that, that Trump's whole plan here, based on just these few clues, these tiny nuggets that we're getting, that when he told Rosen to... Do me a favor, though, right? Because this yeah, is just right. this is a mirror image of the Zelensky phone call. Yeah, you don't have to investigate; just announce that you're looking into into election corruption, and we'll take it from here. And what I take him to mean by me and my Republican congressional friends will take it from here is we will object to electors from multiple states and delay long enough for an insurrection to happen. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, that's it, how I take it. it. I, there's there aren't a lot of other options to that. No, and I think there's a lot of evidence that I'm sure the Department of Justice mm. already has that fills in those gaps, uh, but we just haven't heard about it yet. It usually takes us, we're like on a six-month delay, right, <laughs> right. from hearing but, evidence. But we learned about some of those, so, you We know. did, we did. Now, 
that December 27th phone call between Trump and Rosen, and I think Meadows was on the call too. The next day, according to this trove of documents that Merrick Garland's Department of Justice handed over to Congress, and I know the Department of Justice doesn't belong to Merrick Garland. He is its servant and it's the people's. I get it. But I'm just, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm saying that because- Have you gotten emails, Allison? <laughs> because it's not, because it's not bar. Okay. Uh, I'm just making that distinction. But anyway, the very next day after that phone call, according to these documents, handed over by Department of Justice to the Senate Judiciary Committee and maybe others, Clark wrote a letter saying the Department of Justice was investigating election irregularities in Georgia specifically and instructed, well, they actually said, we're looking at election irregularities, period. Meaning that could be anywhere. And then they went on to say, oh, specifically in Georgia, we have concerns. And then they instructed the Georgia General Assembly, the Department of Justice, well, a draft letter from the Department of Justice, instructed the Georgia General Assembly to call a special session to dismiss the slate of electors that they had, that the people chose, and appoint their own Trump electors to send to Washington, thus overthrowing the will of the people in Georgia. Apparently, there were six other letters or he was going to send these, this letter to six other states. And he was trying to get Rosen and Donahue to sign off on this letter. Yeah. And Rosen and Donahue did not sign off on the letter and actually got a group of DOJ officials together who agreed to resign if Trump fired Rosen and replaced him with, uh, with Jeffrey Clark. And so the plan was to get this signed off on for the DOJ to officially say this and send it off to six different states, instructing I... them to send their own electors to D.C., yeah, and and uh, so so two things come to mind. N- number one, right, that without the backing of the DOJ, that happened in Michigan, right? Like I am sure one of those other six letters would have been a back channel to Michigan. I'm I'm really I I, I want to see as those documents come forward. Um, secondly, right, and this is my favorite part. We we learned uh, right, you, you you know the 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 firewall of hey. A group of DOJ officials said, we're going to resign. We're going to make a huge stink out of this uh, if uh, if there's another Saturday night massacre. On the one hand, I get skepticism because, you know, nothing ever had any consequences for Trump during his entire administration. On the other hand, we learned that one of those officials who had agreed to resign not only pen their resignation letter, blah, blah, blah. They just spent three hours in closed door testimony before the Senate Judiciary Committee. And we learned that 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 they questioned Rosen for seven hours on a Saturday. Um, and the Senate Judiciary now says it will seek the testimony of B.J. Pack. You might recall we've talked about him on this show. Uh, he is the U.S. attorney in Georgia that resigned under pressure from Trump to investigate fake election fraud. Yeah, and that's big. I was we were wondering what happened with B.J. Pack. We're like, that seems real fishy. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> turns as it out turns it was. out, it was real fishy. Uh, and not only all of that, but we also learned that Rosen had reached out to the Department of Justice. Rosen reached out to the Department of Justice to offer his testimony while it was fresh in his head. And before Trump or any of his allies could sue to block him from testifying. And with the announcement that the Department of Justice Inspector General is investigating in tandem with the Senate Judiciary and has been coordinating with them and Rosen for months, (laughs) that they are well aware of what went down and they're being cautious, in my opinion, this is an opinion, about Mm -hmm. what might or might not jeopardize potential criminal investigations that may or may not already be going on within the Department of Justice in D.C., And what's important to consider here is how this might relate to the insurrection, because it would seem to me that Trump's attempts to weaponize the Department of Justice to subvert the election is inextricably tied to the insurrection. I did at the ongoing big lie and and efforts to rewrite history. Yeah, I I have so many thoughts in connection with this. Um, And and you and I have had this conversation both on and and off the air. I do get I cannot tell you, right? Like when we did our patron Q&A, right? Like the very first question out of the box was like, well, how come Trump hasn't been indicted yet? Right. Um, and 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 I get that. Right. And we flagged that in the last segment. Um, I think uh, and 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 I would articulate it this way. Um, one of the things that would be absolutely tragic would be uh, if Trump were indicted um, and were indicted 
in connection uh, with the 1-6 insurrection, right, in connection with the big lie, in connection with his efforts to overthrow democracy as, as we know it, uh, and acquitted, right? I, it, that would, I imagine, I mean, you think QAnon is strong now, like they would have a court opinion that says that the president is not guilty, right? And that would, they would spin that to mean that everything he's ever said has been true since day one. It would, it would be a, a disaster for the country. And yeah, so I spoke to, <laughs> I spoke to Glenn Kirshner earlier this yeah. week who said, if we charge recklessly and lose, that is worse than not uh, investigating. Ab- absolutely. And so, you know, oh, hey, listener. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're tired of me saying that the wheels of justice churn slowly. Okay. Um, but, but these are not easy cases to prove. Uh, proving conspiracy requires proving intent. Proving obstruction requires proving intent. And we know we have the Mueller report. We, we have the playbook that shows what Donald Trump does when he's guilty of obstruction down to right. His very careful, you know, uh, mafia esque way of saying, eh, I'm just, I'm just asking you to do me a favor. I don't, I couldn't, if somebody wants to interpret that favor, like it's ridiculous. We know that. And that is why you need multiply sourced pieces of evidence. It is why the New York attorney general needs, uh, Alan Weisselberg, right? Like it, it, without, Folks on the inside to say, yeah, I, I, I know that Trump is going to say X, but here's the email in which he said, when I say X, that means go change the votes in Georgia. Right. right. Without that. Yeah. It, it, it These are hard cases. Yeah. And and the scope and breadth of this is massive, because even if we're just looking at the, the, the Clark Trump DOJ Saturday Night Massacre conspiracy, that's huge. But when you add in what I think are not mutually exclusive events, the insurrection. Yep. A biggest, biggest case in, in United States history uh, with the number of defendants. Then I even think it could go a step further. And I think that you can add in subversion and conspiracy against the United States with what happened in 2016. The following obstruction of justice charges uh, in 2017. <laughs> Uh, because all of it could, can, I think, could be connected as one giant fucking conspiracy. Now, that's even harder to prove. And I, if I were a prosecutor, I'd say, let's just leave that other shit out of it and just yeah. go for what happened this time. <laughs> I don't know if you saw my facial expression on that. I was because, like, yeah, but, I you get know, it. But, 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 that, like but it might be that... a consideration. It might be a consideration. But they yeah. might be the obstruction of justice charges. We had the McGahn testimony. Why hasn't he been arrested on obstruction of justice charges? That could be a consideration that it might have to do with this. And they need to rule that out as unprosecutable before they either charge it separately or do something. I mean, this is massive either way is is what yeah. my point is. Yeah. Three, uh, at least three things kind of come to mind there, right? So number one, the fact that you and I who live this every day for, for our job can, can have a disagreement, I think is illustrative that, you know, you can be pro rule of law. You can be pro Trump going to prison. Uh, and, and those disagreements are taking place are likely taking place inside the DOJ at the highest levels, right? Like the, 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 the lack of uh, agreement on the precise way to go forward is not a sign of bad faith, is not a sign of, of not having progress. Uh, number two, I, and, and, and I really, really uh, think this is important. Um, you know, we've talked about uh, winning cases from a legal perspective. Um, and one of the things that, the second impeachment trial did really masterfully was telling one consistent story from start to finish. Uh, and, um, and look that worked in so far as anything can work in this broken system that we have, right? That got, uh, uh, multiple folks who we had no idea were going to vote to convict the, the, the former president, uh, to vote to convict the president. And their reasons were really simple, right? They said over and over again, yeah, I, I didn't think I was going to vote for this, but I, I watched and listened to the evidence and they made their case. 
And and so you know, and I they didn't do even not... have the Clark and Rosen stuff. No, for the, no, for that. so yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and so by the way, I, why I not? Agree. I don't understand why Rosen didn't speak up uh, sooner, unless he was just sort of waiting around to see who won the election. <laughs> I, you know, that it's it's hard when you have kind of that fog of war black box, right? Like we we don't know why the folks who didn't do things didn't do things. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, and you know. Something else that I want to bring up, too, uh, I remember the, the chair, the chairman of the 1-6 Commission, Benny Thompson, t- uh, told the Washington Post, I believe, or CNN, I can't remember who it was, but he, he has said that he would be working with the Department of Justice to ensure the committee isn't stepping on the toes of any criminal investigations. Can you remind us why that is another extremely careful consideration that has to be taken into account by the Department of Justice if and when or if they are already doing a criminal investigation, what sort of evidence and testimony do they allow to get out to the public? How can that jeopardize? <laughs> uh, 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 we have history. Yeah, I mean, you know, we we have Paul Manafort to begin with, right? Like, so we, we, <laughs> there are a number of different considerations that, that come into play here. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, right. Like, the, the, the first is that considerations of constitutional rights trump everything else right and so at the at the moment that you're looking at somebody who may have uh, a pending criminal investigation right you you all of a sudden it opens up a, a wide a wide range of you know um uh, of additional decisions that that need to be made let me give you a perfect example of this if you asked a hundred random of our listeners right on January 25th, 2017, would you be willing to give immunity to former Trump campaign advisor Paul Manafort to get his testimony against Donald Trump? Each and every person, myself included, would be like, yep, uh, yeah, Paul who? Like, screw that guy. Uh, let's get him to flip on Trump and let's get. And, and if we had done that, right, at that stage, we never would have learned what, what an un believably evil person Paul Manafort is and the the crimes that he committed against the United States alongside folks like Tad Devine, right, uh, in uh, essentially helping Russia elect a pro-Russian stooge in Ukraine, right? Like It would have and, all gone unpunished. It would have it, all absolutely. gone unpunished. And, yeah. I, you know, I have an even better example. Mueller not declaring what Trump did obstruction of justice. Uh, because of constitutional considerations, if you remember, he said, w- "If we could, if we could clear his name, we would so state." Yeah, but we can't. And he didn't say he committed obstruction of justice. He made no conclusions. He drew no conclusions, and he did that because constitutionally, a defendant has a right to face their accuser in a court of law. And since you can't indict a sitting president, he didn't get the court of law. Now, of course, we have hindsight and multiple arguments to to go against that. But if there are obstruction of justice charges pursued by this Department of Justice on those obstruction on volume two of the Mueller report, there would be a case for appeal by Donald Trump if Mueller had come out and said Trump obstructed justice. Ooh, all right. I want you to put a pin in that because <laughs> I, I, I want to break that because I because I, I this is one of the rare times where I disagree with you. Uh, I think you can indict a sitting president. I think he's sealed indictment, right? Oh, yeah, uh, or, but we knew Mueller wasn't going to. Uh, or, that or that was can, his default situation. Or you can indict uh, and and toll, right? Okay. And and uh, I agree that Mueller found himself bound uh, by an OLC letter. Uh, I think that that's ridiculous. Um, and, uh, and, and, and I would I would love to break that down. But with all of that being said, Right. I, I, your point remains and remains a very, very good one. And, yeah, that and we is, don't need to indict and, and toll, though, really, because if you take those those dangled pardons into consideration, which I think were under the redaction bars in this second that's half an, of that Then that's an ongoing conspiracy. Report, you're 100 percent correct. That yeah. happened in, at the end of 2020. Uh, yep. So that, 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 that then starts the clock on on obstruction of justice statute of limitations, which extends to 2025. Uh but, you know, I, I have a feeling Mueller was like, he's not going to get elected again and we can charge him when he's out of office. But he he there's problems. I know he left the barn door wide open for Barr to come in and make his own determination. 
But I think well, he was. I think he was told ahead of time in multiple conversations that that wasn't going to happen. Barr knew ahead of time he wasn't going to draw any conclusions, and it's Barr who's the bad guy here. But oh could, yeah, 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 yeah. And, we could talk all day about. It. We could. I I will I will end my side with, and I will, will graciously allow you to have the last word after this. Um, I I think uh, Mueller thought that when he delivered his report. That would be that was the Nixon moment that that Trump would resign under threat of impeachment. Um, I think you saw the back and forth between him and Barr relating to uh, uh, Mueller's uh, apoplectic uh, reaction to the misleading uh, lying summary. I, I find that very hard to square with Mueller's refusal to look into the camera and say that when he testified uh, before the Senate. Um that's the hardest thing I have to, to try and figure out. But I do think that he thought, yeah, this is obviously like I'm going to put this out. And the day that the public sees it, you know, the next day impeachment proceedings will begin. So but the reasons remain the same, not yes, to they, not to yeah, jeopardize any future investigation. Uh, I, Mueller's just on the ultra conservative side of that. You know? that's, that's right. That's right. So um, um, and, and so, yeah, like, look, you do not want to take the view of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, we'll just immunize everybody. And, you know, uh, because all we care about is getting Trump because, you know, what if one of those turns out to be person 10, you know, who was left in charge of the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers on Insurrection Day? Right. What if it's actually the field general uh, who uh, who implemented uh, the insurrection? Right. Like I I do not think and more importantly, because no one cares what I think. I know that prosecutors at the Department of Justice do not take the view of eh, anybody can walk so long as we get the top guy. That's not the view they take. And and that's not how they interpret their jobs. Yeah, I know. Same like same with the Tom Barrick indictment. Yep. In, there my, you go. in my view, he was the target. He's a fucking bad guy. Uh, he, he might want to sing all all day about uh, Trump and the inaugural. But in, in my estimation, and I think in prosecutors estimations, too. He he was the he was the big fish in that particular investigation, and and Mueller handed that off uh, to to the Southern District or Eastern District. Anyway, he handed it off uh, (laughs) because it wasn't within his scope. Again, ultra conservative fella. Uh, All right, and um, just one last thing about the one six commission. They're now they're now considering subpoenaing the call logs from the White House, and I you know (laughs) I'm particularly interested too in the Jim Jordan calls, the Tommy Tuberville call. All of this is part of this massive giant huge, like immeasurable scope of an investigation that the that as being the probably the number one most important historical investigation the department of justice has done since i don't know the civil war they have to get it right i couldn't agree more and i think you've identified it, it particularly the the tuberville call uh in, in my view can do two things number one uh, we already have efforts to gaslight one six from the floor of the Senate, from the floor of the House of Representatives. And it reminds the people who were there who were Republicans. Oh, no, that's right. I was being led away by the staff sergeant at arms because people were coming to kill me. Mm-hmm. Um, and number two, it is the easiest case to be able to find a, a flat out lie. Right. Because I, 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 whenever like as a lawyer, right, like. That's what you look for, for you can set up the like, well, sir, were you lying then or are you lying now? Um, and and uh, and and so I, I share your excitement. on. Yeah. And it also can and be possibly one of those links that uh, to show the intent of what Trump meant when he told Rosen, uh, me and my Republican colleagues will take care of the rest. Yep. Uh, that's he's one. That's one of them. So and and that that Liz Cheney thing where she took her hand away from Jim Jordan and said, you fucking did this. It's like, you know, they know. They know. Yeah, way they more do. than we do. All right, we've got a really good comings and goings block coming up right after this break. I don't, I don't want you to miss it. Stick around. We'll be right back. And Diane's husband passed away. The insurance company said his policy didn't cover them. They had no money to pay for the funeral. It's so hard nowadays with all the gangs and rap music. What about robots? Oh, they're everywhere. I don't even know why the scientists make them. Darren and I have a policy with Old Glory Insurance that covers us in case we're attacked by robots. An insurance policy with a robot plan? Mm Mm-hmm. 
Well, certainly I'm too old. Old Glory covers anyone over the age of 50 against robot attack, regardless of current health. I'm Sam Waterston of the popular TV series Law & Order. As a senior citizen, you're probably aware of the threat robots pose. Robots are everywhere, and they eat old people's medicine for fuel. Well, now there's a company that offers coverage against the unfortunate event of a robot attack, Old Glory Insurance. Old Glory will cover you with no health checkup or age consideration. You need to feel safe. And that's harder and harder to do nowadays because robots may strike at any time. And when they grab you with those metal claws, you can't break free because they're made of metal and robots are strong. Now, for only $4 a month, you can achieve peace of mind in a world full of crime and robots with old glory insurance. Robots! They're coming! Robots! Oh, it's a friendly robot. This time... So don't cower under your afghan any longer. Make a choice. Old glory insurance. For when the metal ones decide to come for you. And they will. And Allison, as you teased before the break, it's time for your favorite segment and mine, Comings and Goings. Ooh. And this week, yeah, we're leading off uh, with the bipartisan House 1-6 commission to someone who... um. Ordinarily wouldn't be on my happy list. <laughs> Denver Riggleman. You have to say it. Denver Riggleman. You have to <laughs> say it that way. You are not joking. This is a former Virginia congressman, Denver Riggleman. Denver Riggleman. He was part of the House Freedom Caucus, and he has the endorsement of Donald Trump before losing in the 2020 Republican primary. So, you know, you're going to see even... Neutral news sources refer to Riggleman as an outspoken critic of former President Donald Trump. <laughs> and that's just more of the usual Republican bullshit gaslighting. He's a staunch conservative. He's a giant piece of shit. Uh, but, but because he's not currently a sitting member of Congress, he will be a senior technical advisor to the committee. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, boy, you said a lot there. Um, <laughs> I, I want to talk about that primary because, um, as far as I can tell, most attribute Riggleman's loss to the fact that he officiated a same-sex wedding between two of his friends, uh, or, uh, as normal people call it, a wedding. Yeah. Anyway. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and he lost that primary to bona fide asshole and a former athletics official at Liberty University, uh, a guy named Bob Good. Uh, and Good basically spent the entire primary dog whistling uh, and having his former boss, Jerry Falwell Jr., who for some reason Republicans in Virginia don't think is a criminal. I don't know. Come out to stump for him. Uh, presumably Falwell Jr. had his pants on at the time. But, you know, hey, who knows? Yeah. In this in this day and age, it's hard to tell those people from Liberty University. Uh, but Riggleman has been jockeying for this job since May when he tweeted out a one six commission is the job I would want. <laughs> <laughs> I can't get more than that. <laughs> Combining my intel, network analysis, telephony, counterterrorism, cyber and targeting background with my congressional experience would be useful. Uh, after being named to the commission, Riggleman said, I have to say, doing this might be one of the biggest things I've ever done in my life. Yeah. You know what? I agree, Denver. Uh, I agree. Uh, we can't worry about the color of the jerseys anymore or whether we have an R or a D next to our name. Thanks for, for driving the point home there. Uh, <laughs> it's time for us to look in a fact-based way at what happened on January 6th to see if we can prevent this from ever happening again in the future. Yeah, and uh, and I'm, I'm going to make fun of it again because that drew the like typical praise from Democrats, right? Chair Benny Thompson praised Riggleman as having, quote, a deep background in national security and intelligence matters. And all of this is true, right? I, I just want you to remember, right? I, and, and, and the fact that Riggleman is being added to the commission is an incredibly good strategic move. It is really important that we do not have just an echo chamber. It is important to have Republican voices, okay? So I am in favor of all of that. I just need you, and by you I mean all of our listeners, to be on your toes when CNN says, you know, he's an anti-Trump Republican, and two weeks from now when Jim Jordan says, well, he's a rhino, and you know, the 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 uh, stacked committee of Democrats. I want you to remember that 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 Denver Riggleman <laughs> House Freedom Caucus 
is on the committee. Yeah, and, and they're they're trying to do the same thing with with Rosen. Let's be honest. Mm, yeah, uh, and this would be a good time to remind everyone that cooperating witnesses, <laughs> if yeah. you will, are bad guys. Okay, um, just saying. And and you're yeah. you're you're going to have to swallow praise for Liz Cheney. So you yep, know, yep. Do what it takes, and remember I, that it didn't have to be this way. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy wrote his, the whole commission and then voted yeah. against it. Then we had a new one, and then he appointed five people. Uh, you know, we remember Pelosi, Nixed Banks, and Jordan, and he withdrew all five of his nominees. Uh, we could have had Troy Neals of Texas and two other Republicans on this committee. But now, of course, McCarthy's repeating the same old line. Speaker Pelosi's rejection of the Republican nominees uh, on the committee and self-appointment of members who share her preconceived narrative or which is the narrative of not overthrowing the fucking government. <laughs> uh, low bar, Kevin. Uh, you know, that that's your share of preconceived. Will not yield a serious investigation. And of course, they're going to have to say this because they have to discredit this somehow because all of this is going to come out in 2022. Yeah. I, it, that's entirely correctly. Uh, so um, I want to tell people who are trying to track what's going on. Uh, there is a website. It is January 6th with the number. So J-A-N-U-A-R-Y 6-T-H dot house dot gov. Um, and that has all of the information on it. And it answers a question I didn't know the answer to uh, last week, which was um, have all 13 members of the committee been named? And the answer to that seems to be no. Right. Like it's it's still open. Um, it includes Cheney and Kinzinger. Uh, it does not formally include Riggleman because, again, he's not a sitting member of Congress. Um, but uh, but that's a that's a great resource out there to track uh, what the committee is doing. Yep. And so far, the committee has heard just one day of testimony, one day on a day called the law enforcement experience on January 6th. Mm -hmm. As we know, they heard testimony from uh, Sergeant Gunnell, Officer Dunn, United States Capitol Police uh, and, and moving testimony from Officer Michael Fanone, as well as Officer Hodges, both of the D.C. Metropolitan Police Department. I mean, that was a really, really uh, moving day. Those are the witnesses, Andrew, you and I wanted to be called during yep. the impeachment trial. <laughs> Uh, yeah. And now we're getting them. We're getting them now. Uh, and again, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. I don't think any amount of uh, testimony from anyone would have persuaded the senators on the Republican side to say anything other than you can't impeach a former president. Uh, they still would have gone the way that it went. Yeah, I you know, I, I'm not going to revisit history. I wanted the witnesses. I'm going to stand I, by that. Yeah, but, but I, I, agree. I Oh, I agree. I know we you still should have had the witnesses. We still should have had the witnesses. We still should. Um, all right. So happy, happy, happier news. Uh, I want to give a warm welcome to Eunice Lee, who was just confirmed by the Senate to serve on the United States Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit. Um, Eunice Lee, African-American woman, was nominated by President Biden on May 12th. Uh, we covered that nomination here on the show. She was rated well qualified by the American Bar Association. She had a totally uneventful confirmation here. I mean, like, I, I, I don't if there was a hostile question, I didn't see it. Mm. Um, she graduated from, uh, you know, a, a half decent law school. She graduated from Yale. I mean, you know, <laughs> I probably couldn't get into Harvard, but that's not, you know, that's not her fault. Um, uh, uh, that was in 96. Uh, she served as a public defender for 20 years, an adjunct professor at NYU at the same time, uh, and for the past two years as an assistant federal defender. So, you know, not, not the same like Justin's and Corey's that we got from the last guy. Yeah, no, and I believe, Andrew, this makes her the first uh, uh, appointee to the to this bench that that is uh, uh, was a defender, a public defender. I, it, 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 um, I love yet, that so much. After all that. She was only confirmed 50 to 47. Zero Republican support. Not a one. Uh, there were three non-voting Republicans. One was Marco Rubio. That's no surprise. Rubio hates his job and is almost never there for anything to vote, to vote for anyway. Uh, one was Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee, who absolutely would have voted against Lee had she been on the floor. And one was Princess Lindsey Graham. Your guess is as good as mine as to why he didn't want that to happen. But keep this in mind the next time you read an article about how bipartisan and ready to compromise and moderate people like Murkowski, Collins and Romney are. All three of them voted against leave for no better reason than, well, they didn't give a reason. Uh, <laughs> no, they did not. <laughs> seriously, Google it. Not one put out a statement explaining their no votes. So uh, 
Yeah, mittens. And uh, mm. I guess maybe Collins was concerned. I don't know. She didn't say why. But you know what? Fortunately, it doesn't matter. No, it does not. Elections have consequences. <laughs> nee, nee, nee. There you go. Uh, I'm going to continue to make that sound sometimes when, when things like this happen. Call me childish. That's fine. I don't care. Well... Andrew, that is our show for this week, and it was a wonderful one, chock full of all sorts of interesting things. Big news out of the Department of Justice. I gotta, I gotta end saying I still think that the Department of Justice is doing an investigation here. I think they're just going about it in a very slow, non-public way. Uh, we will see. That's the cool thing about all this, right? We will see. Yeah, I, I agree with your beans. Let's hope. Let's <laughs> hope we're both right. And look, if we're not. We will hold ourselves accountable, right? We, I, we will, you know, if this is four years from now and Trump has skated and the Democrats lost the Senate in 2022, like, you know, we're not going to be sitting here, you know, pretending that it's uh, yeah. beautiful and rosy. Uh, but I, I do think it's important that, you know, we take a, a somewhat longer view than, you know, why isn't Trump in orange yet? Um, I mean, you know, prison jumpsuit orange, mm -hmm. obviously not. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I've got my I got my DOJ red lines. Uh, one of them was if they represented Mo Brooks in the Swalwell lawsuit no. or Trump in the Swalwell lawsuit. They are not. Yay. They've gotten over those hurdles with me personally. This is just with me. Uh, another one is uh, if they don't go after obstruction of justice. I think that that's a big problem. And I will scream and shout from the rafters if they make an announcement that they're not pursuing those charges. And then, of course, not investigating now this Trump Clark uh, situation and anything else that might be connected to it that they that they determine is is a prosecutable conspiracy, however wide they want to go. I, you know, I'm, I leave that up to them. They're they're much smarter than I am. But if they, at the very least, if they don't look into criminally investigating uh, the, the Trump Clark situation, the Trump Clark Rosen situation, you will hear from me. I I agree. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, again, that's our show. I think I already said that. But uh, it, do you have any final thoughts before we get out of here? Because I just want to tell everybody uh, I had a wonderful time in New York. Thanks to the Beans patrons who came out. Uh, I'm looking forward to uh, our next meet and greet with our aisle 45 patrons. I think that's going to be amazing. Um, we might have something uh, happening in D.C. I don't know. You and I will talk about that. We might be able to have some sort of live meet and greet happening uh, shortly. Uh, at least with me, I'm trying to get Andrew to come out. Um, <laughs> so, uh, that, I think that would be really fun. I, I think that would be amazing. Uh, we, we love doing the show and we love, uh, all our listeners, all our patrons, the people that, uh, that help make this possible. So, um, yeah, no, just as always, this is, we do this on a Monday night and it's like the perfect way to start my week. So thanks for being here. Yeah, unfortunately, all the news dumps on Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, well, no, but right. <laughs> all right, we got to go. <laughs> yeah, thanks to everybody so much. We will see you next week on Cleanup on Aisle 45. Cleanup on Aisle 45 is written, researched, and produced by Allison Gill and Andrew Torres with editing by Molly Hockey. Our art and logo designer by Joel Reeder and Moxie Design Studios, and our music is composed and performed by Adam Orr. Cleanup on Aisle 45 is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, visit mswmedia.com. Hi, I'm Harry Lichtman, host of Talking Feds, a roundtable that brings together prominent figures from government law and journalism for a dynamic discussion of the most important topics of the day. Each Monday, I'm joined by a slate of Fed's favorites and new voices to break down the headlines and give the insider's view of what's going on in Washington and beyond. Plus sidebars explaining important legal concepts read by your favorite celebrities. Find Talking Feds wherever you get your podcasts.